filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So uh, the U.S. women's national team is in town. Uh, we're recording this, I guess, um, not quite two full days before they'll have played their game against France at RFK. Um, but the cool thing is that their training session, their one training session in the area on Monday, is at the University of Maryland. It's at the Terps uh, training field. It's not at Ludwig. It's at their training field, um, which is just a field in a fence um, across the street from the football stadium and between it's a main footpath essentially for most of where the students live. The biggest block of dorms is past it. And many of the, the, uh, classroom buildings are the other direction. So everyone has to walk past this field essentially. Um, and during my time at the university of Maryland, I would walk past there and look at it all the time. Cause it's a really nice, well manicured field. Um, one, which is for me as a lifetime soccer player is huge. And two, it's locked. So there's the like, deep human uh, interest of like i want that thing that i can't have um and occasionally, so how many times did you hop that fence well occasionally there would be a ball left out there someone would be careless and leave a ball a training ball out there um and so those were the times where it was like let's see if we can climb the fence tonight and get a free ball um and maybe give it back after a while it just like it's a nice ball we could play a few few games with and then punt it back over one night and no harm done um the first time we actually went there though uh, was drunk uh, at like Naturally. two in the morning. Um, we decided like we were walking past, and it's like someone had the idea of like shaking the gate, and the gate was not locked that night. And so there was no ball out there that time. So I had to run home and go grab a ball real quick. Um, and I br- grabbed my like cheap ball, the only ball I had at the time, and we played a brief drunk two a.m. Uh, soccer game on the same field that soon, uh, very soon in real time. The women's national team will be training on, and also that Patrick Mullins uh, and Chris Odoyachum and uh, Taylor Kemp have, have trained on. Nice. How many of you were there that there was enough to play a soccer game at two a.m. drunk? Uh, three on three. Okay. And like with three actual soccer players spread between the teams, so obviously you know which team won is the team that had two actual <laughs> soccer players. Um, but also you know it was a drunk soccer game on a field that was trust technically some kind of trespassing, so you know. So the, the result was less important. Yes, the the <laughs> the actions were more important than the results. So does this mean that people can just uh, creep along the uh, fence line to watch the uh, U.S. Women's National Team practice? I haven't been by there in a while because it's not convenient to any of the parts. Like if you go to a soccer game at Maryland, you don't see this field. You you wouldn't go past it. Um, so I don't know if they've covered the fence with that like weird green, dark green stuff yeah. that sits on fences in the past it was not covered at all um so if you didn't have anything to do you could watch you could sit and watch a maryland training session if you felt like it i think um, as long right. as you're not kneeling during the national anthem u.s soccer will probably let you stay oh hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor they're ben bromley and jason anderson we are all from black and red 
where we write about the U.S. national teams, D.C. United, and lots more. Tonight, it's all D.C. United all the time. We're talking about their scoreless draw with Sporting Kansas City over the weekend, and we are previewing their game next weekend against uh, NYCFC up at Yankee Stadium. That game will be 2 p.m. on, I think, News Channel 8 and MLS Live. Whatever. Uh, I think it's WJLA. Okay, yeah, it's on ABC7. Yeah. This is on proper broadcast television. Uh, hopefully, you will get it in the hinterlands as well. Um, huh. To talk about that one, we're going to have Raf Naboa E. Rivera from Hudson River Blue, our friends up there in the five boroughs. Uh, he's going to come down onto the show to to talk to us about that. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? So, we are recording very, very light tonight. Uh, so... I went with a bourbon and Coke to get a little caffeine, but I had a much better drink earlier today because we went to one of my favorite breweries uh, here in Richmond, Licking Hole Creek Farm Brewery, and they had their uh, annual Despot Day yesterday. And today they started a, uh, this year they started a day after Despot Day to handle all of the crowds. So we went the day after, still got the same beer uh, with much less crowd, and it is a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout and unlike the one i had i think two weeks ago maybe last week who can remember Mm -hmm. uh this one is quite delicious i highly recommend if you can get enlightened despot uh from looking hole creek farm brewery highly recommended uh my drink is is my trying to be the climate change i want to see in the world um i'm drinking a ricky it's it's a, a whiskey ricky but a Ricky, nonetheless, which is much better in warm weather than it is in cold weather. And had this been a week ago, it would make perfect sense to be... Or tomorrow. Or tomorrow. So by the time you listen to this, maybe my, my complaints about the, how cold it was at RFK and, and how chilly it was today won't, won't make as much sense. But uh, just remember the past, that it was chilly, and that my joke made some sense, even if it wasn't totally funny. Jason, save me. What are you drinking? First of all, if you're turning me to save you from an awkward joke that didn't land, <laughs> you, you turned the wrong way, man. Let, let's let's just let's just take like five I should have gone with you and, first and Ben second. I recognize no. this now. Let, let's just let's just let Adam's joke marinate for a couple seconds. I mean, it's still a good drink, but not a good joke. <laughs> Welcome to filibuster. All right. Yeah, uh, if you're if you're still listening already, like you should have left by now. Um, I actually uh, misunderstood an email and did not know we were doing uh, the whole show all at once. Um, so I had to quickly pour a drink uh, during a little break we took. So I grabbed my bottle, my trusty bottle of Technico Añejo uh, tequila, and I just poured it quickly into a glass. So just Añejo, neat. Then did you also quickly pour it into your mouth? I just did. <laughs> Confirmed. I watched him Not do it all on at internet once. Not all at once. You don't. You don't drink a fine uh, tequila like this, uh, like an idiot in a in a hurry to get into a car crash or or freak out. <laughs> Those are the only options. Well, freak out covers a lot of ground. Look, <laughs> car crash very specific. Freak out pretty much everything else. <laughs> well, I suppose we can talk about soccer now. Um, I, I yes, let's talk about soccer. We probably should. It looked like a classic first game of the season in MLS at RFK on Saturday night, and that it was anything but a classic. DC United and Sporting Kansas City basically smothered each other, allowing few chances and no goals in a scoreless draw. Um, 
the good slash bad news for both teams is that their their goalkeepers, uh, their respective goalkeepers were the men of the match in this one. Bill Hamid for DC United and Tim Melia for Sporting Kansas City. Hamid made a, a great save, an athletic, acrobatic save on a Benny Failhaber free kick. Melia saved a penalty kick and and had a couple other moments that we'll talk about later. Um, ben, what do you make of the fact that that the goalkeepers were really the only guys worth talking about at the top of this segment? <laughs> well, I mean, at least the goalkeepers were worth talking about instead of, I mean, from a DC United perspective, instead of it being like uh, Sporting Kansas City opening matches of the year of years past where they have thumped us a couple of times so that's good at least and i mean yeah uh bill hamid's bill hamid's leaping uh full stretch out save was a thing of beauty to watch uh and it's good that he is back in uh fine form after missing most of the preseason um there were a couple of of balls that i wish he had caught instead of uh smacked down and kind of like basketball dribbled or smacked away but Overall, he had a very good performance, and he's only going to get better as he gets into more of a rhythm. So, yeah, I mean, looking for good points from this game, Bill Hamid was a definite good point. And I'm glad that uh, Sporting Kansas City had nothing good to say except about their goalkeeper. Yeah, this was a... Yeah, it was was an interesting game. I think we'll... We'll flesh that out more in the the conversation to to come. One thing I was surprised about: I expected both teams to have some joy down their left side, and when DC United earned the penalty, it did come off of a buildup down their left side. But with both teams featuring right backs who are really uh, conversion projects not 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 just conversions, but but pro- projects still in progress. Um, I, I really thought that Nick DeLeon. He he was targeted a lot, but he did pretty well. And I thought Graham Zussi would be targeted more than than DC United did with Patrick Niarco. Uh, Jason De Leon was was isolated a lot against uh, Gerso Fernandez, and I thought I I don't know if I would say he put him in his pocket, but he did a pretty good job in those one v one battles. I think better than I expected, certainly. Yeah, I would say better than expected. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say shutting uh, Gerso down. I thought um, there were still some crosses in there that right. He, he and that's kind of Gerso's game. He's he's not. Um, it's interesting because Kansas City talked about needing a goal scoring threat off the wing, and Gerso's career is much more setup man. I think I looked it up. How many? It, it was like twelve goals in one hundred and fifty something appearances or something like that in Portugal. Um, very much a setup guy. Um, and by not playing him inverted as he did in the preseason, that just adds to it. By having his left foot out wide on the left, it means he's really going to be crossing and that's it. Um, he did create a couple looks. There were, there was one mistake that DeLeon made in, I want to say in the first half, or no, 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 it was after half, it was the second half, um, where he dove in on, uh, Gerso and just completely missed the ball and there was a brief moment that Casey probably should have done more with that dissipated. Um, but it was where it was a situation where United got away with it. Um, but all in all, um, on the defensive side of the ball, I thought De Leon did, I think, better than expected given the circumstances of United not playing very well when they had the ball as a group. 
Um, and that kind of comes back to something that I noticed looking at the, uh, the various chalkboards and heat maps and everything. Um, De Leon only attempted one pass or cross, uh, within 45 yards of goal. Um, and it was an attempted cross, um, that actually, if there had been a better run, it oh, was that a, one was good. Yeah. Yes. Um, and if there had been a better run, a harder run, or, or if he just had been a little like a step, uh, a, a step less, or I guess a step closer to his teammates is the best way to put it. Um, that would have been finished off because it was a hard driven cross that Tim Melia wouldn't have had time to do anything about. Um, unfortunately no one could get on the end of it. Um, but that was the only time. And, and that, I think that also counted dribbles as well. Um, so no attempted dribbles, no attempted cross or one attempted cross and no attempted passes within 45 yards of Kansas city's goal. Um, and that's not necessarily De Leon's fault. I think that reflects how the game went for United and the fact that he had to understand something on the fly that he could take fewer chances. Um, there was a good exchange now that I'm thinking about it in the first half between him and Lloyd Sam, probably the only good yeah. moment that Sam had in the entire game. Um, Sam really got bottled up in this one. Um, but he had a really nice uh, one-touch flick um, back against the grain for Dalio and running on um, that looked pretty good, but that didn't amount to anything again. Um, but that's kind of the tale of the night for United all over the field was that they would get the first part of opening Kansas City upright. There'd be a nice flick or an intelligent pass, and then the thing that would follow it up would be an incomplete pass or a bad first touch or something along those lines. Um, and that kind of summed up a lot of what went wrong for United. And that's, yeah, I guess you you have to say this early in the season that at least they they gutted it out and still made sure it didn't end in a defeat. Um, because the Olsen loves to talk about when the soccer side isn't there, what do you do? How do you get results? And the soccer side was not there for United. Um, I think their pass completion was something like is like sixty three percent pass accuracy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be that low, though I probably should have realized it until I saw the actually the email that the t- the the press summary that the e- the team sends out um, to media members, and it noted that the best pass completion on the night for United uh, from any starter at least was Jared Jeffrey with seventy five. Um, yeah. And when seventy five is your best, you know that there's going to be some bad ones in there, and there were. Um, I do think I want to say like the aforementioned Lloyd Sam. I think Ortiz went four for four. So if you go purely on percentage, then he ended up being the the winner of the night. Um, but a lot of guys, like Ben mentioned Lloyd Sam, I counted them up uh, nine for 19. So that's Ooh. less than 50%. Um, but there was a lot of that going on for United. They just couldn't get it together uh, precision wise, but they still found a way to not let that cost them the game. Yeah, it was it was definitely a good performance on the, the defensive side of the ball uh if you look at the shot chart for this um united were outshot 15 to 9 uh but you look at the the quality of the shots united have mostly from central positions a lot of them in the box versus sporting kansas cities which are spread all out and a lot of them are well outside the box not just you know just beyond the 18 but but outside the d and and further on still um I wouldn't be surprised if United had a better expected goal, even if you don't count the the penalty that was missed, which we should probably talk about that. Let's talk about that. I, I mentioned a penalty. Marcelo stepped up and and did not take a good penalty. Tim Melia saved it. Um, twice. Twice. Uh, he got onto the, the follow-up as well. It was a clear penalty, no matter what the uh, 
Sporting Kansas City announcers say Melia uh, went into Buescher studs up and, yeah, and as an aside to the, after the path after the pass was gone. Uh, it was a bad play by Melia. As an aside to this aside, uh, the Sporting Kansas City announcers were real bad. I hope you never have the misfortune of listening to them. I, I will say I, d- I did enjoy getting a question relating to the Kansas City announcers on a Facebook Live video I was doing from inside RFK. Um, <laughs> though it was, to be fair to be fair to our commenter, it was just to make fun of the guy's hair, um, which I did eventually see, and it was justified to make Jim fun Ca- of that man's hair. Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber was his hair, but with but with like some ice pick uh, sideburns. Right. Yes. Thrown oh, in. Wow! Um, oh, it was it was something else. That's epic. Yeah, I think we may uh, need to get a picture of that. It's out there. Uh, but let's yeah. talk about the penalty kicks instead. Yeah, let's talk about the penalty. I or or, or not. <laughs> well, I want to come to Marcelo's defense a little bit because there were Do there you? were there were some people. Do you? It was a bad penalty. Okay. I will say that it okay. was a bad penalty. That said. He stepped up and was in position to take it very early. It was clear that he was the one who was going to take it. There wasn't any confusion on the field, which for some, there was a midfield free kick early in the game where Buescher and Franklin kind of got in each other's way and, and it ended up being a pass to the wrong team. So I don't think. Are you talking about the free kick where, where um, I believe, no, this was um, the one that Marcelo opted to touch and then realized he had touched it and the ball was in play and Franklin just had to sort of smash the ball off of somebody and hope for a throw in. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a bad moment. Yeah, that was bad. But the penalty kick, it was clear. So even if there's not a or we don't know who the designated penalty taker is or anything, it was clear that Marcelo had had at least claimed it and was planning to take it and did take it. Um, so I, I have less issue with that. It was a badly placed. It was too close to the middle of the goal. Not enough power. Um, I don't know if he tipped his hand or not. Uh, but if you watched the Toronto FC RSL game, Jovinko took a penalty to exactly the same spot in exactly the same way. And it was saved by Nick Romando exactly, or probably even better than, than Melia saved it because Romando's really good at controlling penalty saves for some reason. That's his superpower. So it wasn't the worst penalty in the world. It wasn't even the worst penalty in United's history. Uh, so I, it was bad. He should have scored it. It's a penalty. You should score penalties. But I'm not as exasperated, I think, as some people about it. Well, I think uh, some of it at least stems from there's a belief that if you're a forward, you should take penalties, and that's the end of it. Um, and I'm going to actually be writing about this. Um, so by the time you hear this, listener, it may act, the article may exist by the time you hear it. Challenge um, accepted. I mean, it's probably not going to, but I'm saying, like, if you're listening to this, like, a day or two after Ben puts it out, then you know what I'm saying. Um, but the thing about penalty taking is it's not the same as finishing. It's a, it's a mental exercise for the most part. Um, without pressure, pretty much anyone on the team can put a penalty in the upper corner. Um, professional players can do things with the ball that you wouldn't believe when there's, there's no pressure on. Um, when it's relaxed and they're goofing off. Um, you see all kinds of things that they can they can pull off. It's um, a little bit like if you go on YouTube and watch these random trick shot videos that, that people put together. Um, but when you add 17, 18,000 people, when you add 13 minutes of running, um, when the, at RFK, this was a RFK got really quiet for this penalty. People went from like buzzing to just like silent before this penalty. And I thought that was odd. 
Um, it was too silent, essentially. It was, it was very strange for it to be like that. It wasn't a normal thing at RFK. Um, so a lot of things go, there's a lot of odd stuff going on. And so that's, those are the kind of things that get in the way of the simple muscle memory of placing a penalty in a spot that you've probably placed it a thousand times training it, um, over the years. Um, and I think that's pretty much what happened to Marcelo that on, you know, on training, uh, on Monday, he could put the ball anywhere you want. Um, he could probably do it 10 times in a row. Um, but at training on Monday, he's relaxed. Everything's easy. So, um, it's more of a, it's a, it's a mental exercise more than anything else. And if it turned, I mean, there's a Brazilian goalkeeper named, uh, Rogério Senni who took penalties for his entire career and he's the goalkeeper for his team. Um, if you're the guy that is, is good enough to convert the penalties that can, keep it together in those moments you should be the one taking them it's not you're a forward so you're better at shooting um because this is not the same it's not as, there aren't as many variables essentially um the ball goes to the same spot the goalkeeper's supposed to stay on their line there's a whistle no one's going to interfere with you at all i mean theoretically someone might grab you but then there, there's a whole other series <laughs> of things that will go on at that point T- um terry Henry might be equal with you when you uh take your penalty kick Right. Um, At which point but you get to redo it. Most likely, uh, especially if you have Mark Geiger helping out. Um, but yeah, um, Marcelo made his previous penalty attempt uh, with United. He's, he converted one against the Red Bulls last year. Um, the issue that comes to mind for me is that United's best penalty taker, uh, based on MLS history, doesn't start. It's Sebastian Latou. Um, Latou is 13 for 14 in his penalty taking career in MLS, uh, which is one of the best percentages in league history. Um, so if Latou is on the field, I think he should absolutely, it should be designated. And I think Olsen actually said to the press that he didn't have a designated penalty taker. He was going to leave that responsibility to the guys on the field, which is kind of reflective of his coaching yeah. philosophy in a lot of ways. Um, but I feel like if Latou is in the game, uh, from the start, you should take the note like, yeah, he's going to take this because we know he is virtually automatic. We have years of data to prove that. Um, but without him on the field, um, and without Nagel, who had emerged late last season as United's best penalty taker most of the time, who again was a guy that was sometimes on the field, sometimes not, um, you run into an issue uh, when your starting lineup doesn't have a lights out penalty taker. It's sort of an odd situation to be in. Um, I did get a lot of people mentioning Mullins uh, because he's a forward, and I think this is kind of a show-your-work situation because I think that was the right answer, but it's not for the right process because a lot of it was it should be Mullins because he's a forward. Um, I did see people in our comments saying it should be Mullins or Burnbaum specifically because they were good at penalties in college. Well, Burnbaum, most of Burnbaum's goals in college were on headers on set pieces. Um, right, I think but he, he also was an house penalty taker. Yeah, but I think he was like two for two one year. Right. Um, Mullins, I looked this up in in the process of working on the thing that I'm working on. Mullins wasn't Maryland's penalty taker for most of his career, despite being their main goal threat for a lot of that time. But the one year he was, they happened to get nine penalties and he converted nine. Um, so his history is pretty solid. Um, and so based on that, I would lean towards him. But, you know, Marcelo is easily the most experienced player on the team. Um, he has converted one before. We know he's, uh, not the, you know, it's not like Bobby Boswell pushing people out of the way and saying, I'm taking this penalty. Mm -hmm. Um, because that would be kind of an odd sight. And I think Boswell would be the first person to say that it would be strange at the the very least. Um, so, you know, 
I don't really have a problem with Marcelo taking a penalty, um, but I do think maybe he should have been second choice in this moment. And um, I will, I, I also, you know, it's coming to mind. Uh, Buescher really only had that one moment, but it did set up the best scoring chance of the entire game. So the big story that we've managed not to mention so far uh, was the absence of Luciano Acosta. Lucho was out with an undisclosed lower body injury that I think we've talked about on the show already, or if not, um, it, it's been discussed that that it's really an ankle injury that came from a tackle he made in the last preseason game against the Philadelphia Union. Uh, it was after, yeah, it was after he had been hacked half to death by the Union, but uh, he he did go in on a bad challenge, got a yellow card and an ankle injury for his trouble. Um, Julian Buescher stepped in to his place for this one um different kind of player definitely attack minded but takes up different positions comes at the game a little bit differently uh the team is not explicitly built around Buescher the way it is around Lucho Ben what do you think of uh the second year player's performance in this one uh I thought he was fine I mean he didn't have the moments of excellence that you expect from Acosta but I thought he would occasionally put himself into dangerous positions. I thought he would occasionally do some nifty things on the ball, some decent passes. Uh, but yeah, it, but the the way the team is built in that four one four one, it it wasn't enough, and I, it almost was like more of what I expect out of Jared Jeffrey's position rather than out of the number ten position, but. Pusher yeah, was in the, playing that number ten position. Yeah, one thing in the defensive phase, I, I think that's that may have been where we missed Lucho more, um, which is uh, a little well, bit yeah. weird to say. Yeah, because uh, he buzzes around and will get up in everybody's face. Yeah, on the press, he's the he's kind of the quarterback when it comes to pressing, and he's the one that reads the trigger and and sets every but everything in motion. And, and in this game, that wasn't Buescher's job. It was Jared right. Jeffrey's job mm-hmm. to be the highest central midfielder in the press. And Jeffrey did a good job of that, I thought. He, yes. he Especially early in the game when he destroyed Matt Beasler. And yeah, he, had a, should have he scored created a couple that. of chances from it that, that the team probably should have done better with. Um, but when when Jared Jeffrey forces a turnover and gets the ball outside, just outside the 18-yard box, that's a very different situation than when you have Lucho Acosta there instead. Yeah. And I think it's that that high press turnover moment where where we missed Lucho the most. Um, second most was in possession because the the central midfield just it wasn't just Buescher. it was Buescher, Jeffrey, and Marcelo just had no cohesion whatsoever, yeah, and they none. they were not on the same page. They couldn't possess the ball. I think United gave up more than sixty percent of possession on their home yes, field, which well, which sixty three to I think so, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So. Even if you're not a possession team, um, that's not what you want to see. That's way too much defending. And so, again, good on the defense and and on the defensive phase for the central midfielders. But you want to see them make that job a little easier, a little lighter by being better with the ball. And and hopefully we see that going forward uh, with or without Lucho. Obviously, yeah. we'd all prefer with. Yeah. And and I think that there does need to be some, some major respect paid to Kansas City who uh they executed in central midfield i mean they they dominated that that battle 
um, and they executed at the kind of level you expect to see in fall or in the playoffs rather than in game one. Teams are normally not that well drilled at this point in the year. Um, I also, I have to say, as much as I dislike Peter Vermes, um, he got something, he did something very intelligent in this game. Normally, uh, Casey plays a very, it's very rigid how they set up in midfield. They set Benny Failhaber to the right of center, and he has license to get forward from there. They play a six underneath, and then Roger Espinosa is to left to the left of center and does the ball winning in that section. They try and funnel teams towards Espinosa when they want to win the ball. They try and move the ball to Failhaber when it's time to create. In this game, because United has always preferred to play Acosta left of center, they flipped them. So Espinosa played right of center, and he played there the entire game. Um, and so he was in Buescher's face for the entire time Buescher was in the game. And I think that sort of set, um, it sort of established how they were going to approach the game, that they knew that this one was about their ability to win the ball and break up play first and foremost. And they achieved that. They, they really executed that plan almost to perfection. Um, the fact that they started Jimmy Madronda over Latif Blessing, um, Madronda last season got most of his minutes playing left back and in this game was playing right forward. Um, he's very versatile. He can do all that stuff, but he's very much a defensive player. Blessing is a striker that is going to be tried as a wide man, uh, in the top for, at least for the start of the year. Um, so the fact that they did that, it reflected their intentions to come in and first and foremost, stop United from executing their plan and then see what happens from there. And, you know, if, if Benny Felhaber's free kick is, is a, a foot closer to the uh, post, um, then Hamid can't get to it. Um, if Dom Dwyer, or that shot he had on the turn, if it knuckles and goes a slightly different way because of the amount of power he hit on it, um, Hamid might not have had a chance to do anything about it. Um, they came pretty close a couple times to pulling off a perfect near, or at least a near perfect road performance. Um, and it all comes back to central midfield. Um, they just, they played at an extremely high level. All, all three of their central midfielders, uh, just knocked it out of the park and United just wasn't, they did not have an answer for it. Yeah. I, I still think United, if you, if you look at the really big moments, United probably, I, I think if there's an expected goals calculation of this, I think United probably edged it because yeah, but most of it comes down to one set piece and a penalty. Exactly. Um, That's the issue is it was two big moments. Uh, And, and sporting Kansas city had, you know, a couple of small moments and one big moment. Right. And that's the kind of game this was. That's why I said at the outset it right. was a smothering by both teams. And, and that's and, not what you want to see, but it's early season MLS. I said in the, my prediction for mm-hmm. this uh, in our prediction thread, I'm predicting goals, which is probably not the smart thing to do <laughs> for the first game of the year because early season MLS is always ugly. Um, it turns out the exception to that is if you're playing a hilariously unprepared and uh, misaligned expansion team. Right, and then then you get a ton of goals with the yes. worst back line in the league, probably. That game was lost in midfield. <laughs> that game was lost all over the field. Let's yeah, there not, were a lot of Minnesota. Um, um, <laughs> Adrian Heath did not run them out for success against no. Minnesota. They they Adrian they Heath is not an MLS caliber coach. <laughs> I did think Ramirez played well. Yeah, but anyway, when he came on, he did well. Yeah. Anyway, um, back back to our our game. I, one thing I noticed looking at some of the passing maps for, for United's players is how well, uh, I mean, Kansas City wasn't just winning the ball. They were actually making United not even try to play in the middle. Um, 
the if you look at the map, uh, there just aren't very many attempted passes in that part of the field from anyone. Um, and that kind of it kind of ruined United's plans, I think, because they need to get the ball into the middle to then push it out wide so they can push the tempo the way they would like to, to do so. And instead, it was the ball was always out wide. And when you're always stuck in those, the you know, if you wall off the the 15 yards from the touchline and you force people to play in there, that's not very much space and you don't really succeed. Um, and so you end up with like 63% passing accuracy um, and you end up also you know, paradoxically, your wingers get more of the ball, but they can't actually do anything with it. Yep. Um, and that happened to Sam, especially. Yeah, the um, number of times Sam and uh, De Leon were trying to combine and were two versus three. Yeah. Was Kansas City and, just kept having more numbers on the ball. Yeah. Um, and I think they're there. If you if you had to put this game in one gif, it would be United making a forward pass and a Kansas City player getting their foot in before United could do anything with it. And some of that has to go to their back four as well. I thought they anticipated really well for the most part um, as a group, and they were good at stepping to the ball while United was waiting for it to arrive. Yeah, speaking of back four, uh, let's talk about Sean Franklin a little bit. Uh, I should have had him in my notes originally, and I, I didn't. Uh, winging it. Yeah, winging it here. Uh, I I thought he, during open play, I thought he did really well especially when United were scrambling a little bit, he managed to make some interceptions and some recovery runs that I think showed why he was out there. Uh, there were a couple of times on crosses where it would have been nice to have Bobby Boswell in there instead, because Franklin got beat to a couple of headers in the box. But by and large, I thought I thought I could see Ben Olsen's thinking in putting him out there. Ben, what did you think? Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that uh, another reason why he was out there was some of his long but on the ground passes that uh, to try and restart the attack and transition quickly from defense to attack and not just the uh, long hoofed balls to the, to the forward or usually to the other goalkeeper uh, that Bobby Boswell had become famous for. Uh, I think his uh, passing and his ability in possession is another one of the reasons why Sean Franklin got moved to center back. And I think he showed not it wasn't excellent, but he showed enough to to let us know why Ben Olson has made the change that he did. All right, that's I. The one last thing I have in my notes is go in your home because we didn't talk about the last uh, big moment for DC United. The two shots saved off the line. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them would have been an own goal. Yeah. Uh, and then Nick DeLeon put a volley that went to the far post, cleared off the line, and then uh, Tim Malia made the, the final save right. when Jared Jeffrey managed to get a header on frame. Uh, Patrick Mullins was was asking for the ball to be sent across, but I don't think Jared Jeffrey's tall enough to have gotten there to, to no, and the way do anything sort of but glance twi- that on. Yeah, he was twisting his body to just do anything there. Which, you know, what's funny about that that set of plays is once you slow it down and actually see who was involved on everything – Espinosa, who might have been the best field player on either team, nearly glances that ball in for the own goal. Yeah. And then uh, Ike Opara is the one clearing off the line, even though he had been marking someone. It looked like he had been on the post, but he actually had to leave somebody to go clear that away. Um, and then you end up with De Leon, who, like I said before, didn't really get involved in the attack whatsoever, having a shot that's goal-bound, and it's, de- it's denied by Dom Dwyer. Um, the striker Dunbar fully like running 
from com- almost completely inside the goal to head that one out. Right. Um, and then uh, at the end of that, you end up with um, Melia ending up having to make a pretty good save off of an extremely high degree of difficulty header from... I mean, Jared Jeffrey has w- scored some goals on headers, but they aren't like acrobatic twisting your body headers. It's just run and charge at the ball and head the ball forward. Um, he's not known for being that kind of guy that scores these dramatic headers. He's not um, Steve Rundbaum. But that that would have been a pretty dramatic way to score uh, a goal that United probably didn't deserve, if we're being yeah. uh, honest. Um, but, you know, it was... It was the one real moment. I mean, even the penalty felt almost not dramatic, whereas this this sequence was wild. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to, again, tip your hat to Kansas City because, the, the especially the Opara clearance, um, that was ridiculous. You know, the ball skimmed off of Espinosa's head. It wasn't like it looped up and came down. It skipped off of the top of his head. It didn't really lose any momentum. Um, There's a reaction save from a field player who is not right. allowed to use his hands. Yeah, Um so, yeah, I mean, it's bad luck for United, but also they say you make your own luck for a reason. And maybe you don't, maybe if you play a little better, you don't have to look back at one sequence and say, oh, if only we had gotten lucky there. Yeah, I'm just happy this game didn't end with Sporting Kansas City nicking one in stoppage time like they did the last time the season opener at RFK was against them Yeah, uh, a few years ago. So uh, one point to start the season at home, not the best, not the worst. Hopefully we'll no, see and, better. And you know, something weekend. that occurred to me, something that occurred to me going home was that this game sort of for United was sort of like the last game of last season against Montreal in that they're playing a team that uh, set up to defend first out of a 4-3-3. And in that game, United kept making defensive mistakes, and that's why they conceded. Uh, in this game, despite the fact that they couldn't really do anything with the ball, they avoided the defensive mistakes, the big glaring mistakes um, they defended their set pieces well. Uh, Franklin, as we talked about, I think Dwyer made an effort to try and single him out, and Franklin yep. stood up to him really well, um, which is tough because Dwyer's not big, but he's like 100% made of like muscles and anger. Um, and so he's really difficult to deal with. Like Larger defenders than Sean Franklin have found themselves knocked to the ground while Dom Dwyer's scoring a goal. Um, so Franklin showed some impressive physical strength and just uh, mental toughness to to battle that out to uh, a victory in his in his uh, decision. Um, so you know there are positives, even though it's a frustrating game. There are positives from it that United played that poorly with the ball and still didn't give anything away. I mean, if if Kansas City had scored, it would have been a spectacular goal. It wouldn't have been mm-hmm. some trash goal that uh, United made mistakes on. It would have been like, wow, how did he hit that? Um, so frustrating and hopefully a low point in terms of passing. But, you know, there's there are things to build off of. It wasn't a disaster. And we'll see if United can build on them this Sunday at NYCFC. And speaking of, if you're listening to this, you should come to Doc FC in Ivy City Sunday. Uh, drink specials start at 1. They continue all day, all night, even after the game, uh, which I said kicks off at 2. Uh, Jason and I will be there. There'll be other members of the staff there. Um, there'll be lots of other DC United fans there. The game will be on with sound. It's going to be awesome. Uh, there will be swag to give away. So uh, make your way to Doc FC for that one and and join us for, for our watch party. Also, the tacos. If you don't like Order us... Tacos. 
Yeah. If you don't like us and you're listening to this, like hate listening and you don't want to hang out with us, come to the watch party and don't watch, but order the tacos because they're delicious. The guacamole is really good too. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we will be right back to preview that game against NYCFC, which are with our friend Raf Naboa E. Rivera from Hudson River Blue. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, the Black and Red will try to break their duck on 2017 next Sunday at New York City Football Club. And to help us get a sense of New York's blue team, we have our favorite guests who have ever competed on Jeopardy. Raf Naboa E. Rivera, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Nice. My favorite in-flight beverage, not going to lie. Mine too. <laughs> uh, so so like DC United this weekend, um, your Pigeons had the probably the better of chances in their game against Orlando <laughs> for, for what it was worth. Um, yeah. but, but also like DC United, couldn't break through. What, what happened down in Florida for you this weekend? Um, I think... It- I think the team had a lot of possession and like a lot of times last season, um, they just weren't as sharp as they needed to be on that final third. And, you know, towards the end of the game, I tweeted from the blog account that New York City FC, if memory serves correctly, um, they've scored 69 goals in the two seasons that they've been around. Uh, 2015, 2016, and 41 of those goals have been scored by David Villa. And that's a lot. The, that's a lot. A that's a lot of goals. Which you know, it's good that David Villa is, is scoring that many goals because that's what you're paying him to do. Um, what's not so good is that the remaining 28 goals out of that 69 goal tally have been scored by the remainder of the team combined. Um, and you know, T Mac, Tommy McNamara, I think is the next leading scorer with 12, which means that your two leading scorers have scored 41 and 12 goals. And that's 
not just a gentle slope, that's a cliff. And that's a problem because that means that um, De Villa has a lot of pressure on his shoulders to score goals. And that's why you see him sometimes taking these really crazy shots a lot of times because he feels that pressure um, to deliver. See, go ahead. You mentioned Tommy McNamara. Um, Mm -hmm. He wasn't even in the starting lineup for you this weekend. Also gone. Uh, not just in the out of the starting lineup, but out of the country, was Frank Lampard, who who scored a, mm-hmm. a decent number of goals for you, especially in Absolutely. those late runs from midfield. Um, how is Patrick Vieira having NYC line up, and how is he planning to uh, make up for the lack of Frank Lampard, who he had to deal with missing a, a good chunk of time, but when Lampard right. was on the field, he was good for you all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, fair play to Frank Lampard. A lot of my criticisms of him, weren't so much for what he did on the field, but for what happened off the field. And, you know, bygones will be bygones. He delivered when he had to deliver, particularly last season. Um, And, you know, we bid him farewell and so on and so forth. That being said, um, the way the team lined up for this game was in a a 4-2-3-1. So a four-man backfield um, and then uh, two deep-lying midfielders, Alexander Ring, whom they picked up in the offseason from Finland, um, sort of a younger uh, defensive midfielder, and then Andrea Pirlo uh, to sort of distribute from deep in the midfield. And then three people across the top of the midfield, Rodney Wallace, who used to play with Portland. Uh, then the third DP who replaced uh, Frank Lampard, Maxi Morales, who last played with Club Leon and Liga MX and Jack Harrison on the right. And then up top, David Villa. Now, a lot of people were talking in the offseason about how Maxi Morales was sort of going to be the New York City version of Sebastian Jovinko. I think the problem with that is that if you've actually spent time watching Morales play, whether that was in Serie A with Atalanta or in um, not so much with Club Leon because he had a fair number of injuries there. And so his playing time was a little bit spotty there. Plus he had, he suffered from a lot of the coaching instability that you see with Liga MX teams. Um, he went through like three different coaches and Leon, um, you know, so you didn't really see him do that. But Morales is not really a scorer in the way that Jovinko is. He's much more of a distributor. And I think you saw that a lot tonight. The challenge with that is that when you don't have scorers, um, with New York City, a lot of that distribution goes to waste. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I think this is a team in transition, and I don't think we've seen the best New York City lineup yet. And to his credit, I think Patrick Vieira is really ruthless about coming up with that lineup. Uh, Ralph, that, that's interesting you brought that up, because something occurred to me uh, since the game ended. Um, yeah. And now, and it's... Uh, the possibility of a out and out formation change between now and, and next Sunday, which last yep. season it seemed like week to week. Um, I try and keep track of what teams are going to do. And my longest entry by far in the little text file I keep was always NYCFC. Um, right. I think I've got them up to like five formations now. Do you think yeah. they'll stick with four, two, three, one, or do you think that the likelihood of, uh, something else coming at DC United is, uh, particularly high? I think. For right now, he sticks with a four-two-three-one, um, 
And there's a couple of reasons for that. A, he's trying to establish some degree of continuity with the defense. And that can only happen if, you know, that defensive back line plays a lot of time together, spends a lot of time together building um, synchronicity and communication with each other. So for that reason, I think you'll see a four-man back line, at least for the foreseeable near term. Um, Secondly, they're really trying to build Rodney Wallace into game shape. Um, which he wasn't in. And one of the reasons he came off when he came off was because he was clearly running out of gas. Um, and so I would imagine that you would see him um, in the lineup next Sunday. So for those reasons, I think you would see a 4-2-3-1 again. That being said, you know, they did bring over Camargo. They did bring over Yanhel Herrera from mm-hmm. the City Academy. And I would imagine that, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, I would imagine that the next guy in the chopping block is probably going to be Andrea Pirlo. And they're probably going to... And the city management, the city football group management, is probably having some really um, hard come-to-Jesus conversations with Andrea Pirlo's people right now. Um, now, obviously, I'm totally making a scientific wild-ass guess right here. Um, I don't. It's not like I have any sources here. I'm not going to go ahead and say, you know, I have people saying this. Um, it's just, you know, watching Andrea Pirlo play. Um, it's not that he played badly. It's that he was just really a non-factor mm-hmm. in today's game. And you could literally see the players in real time um, just bypassing him and the passage of play. Um, and just you could see that the best passages of play, particularly in the first half for New York City, were when he was just not involved. You know, Alex Ring, you know, passing the ball directly to um, – Jack Harrison and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, just basically using Andrea Pirlo sort of like an, as an outlet, not so much as a destination player, mm-hmm. you know, and not really building the offense around him. And, you know, Patrick Vieira is really one of the more intelligent coaches in MLS. And, you know, he's seeing this. And I really can't help imagining that Vieira is seeing this and saying, you know what? I'm not building the team around Pirlo. Pirlo only makes sense if you build a team around him. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's not the case. You know, I've already moved Dick's. You know, I've already moved Discarude mm-hmm. from. Um, you know, from wait, the squad. Wait, who is that? I've, I'm not familiar with that player. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I've already moved. You know, moved him on. You know, the next piece is is probably going to be Pirlo, um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, that's you know. Rough sentimentally, but, you know, fundamentally, this is a business, you know, and you know, there's no sympathy for that. I guess uh, my, my next question goes back to the back four. Um, mm-hmm. I I know I went into the season, I think a lot of the previews I read uh, expected it to be Frederick Briant and then someone else next to him. And instead it was Maxime Chinot and Alexander Cayens. Um, what did you make of their first performance or I guess first uh competitive performance and do you think that's going to be the way going forward or do you think there's still a competition there um i thought it was a pretty solid performance aside from that um aside from that sort of first goal that mm. that orlando scored but there's only so much you can do there i mean was it a defensive breakdown a little bit yeah but look i've been watching this team play literally since the beginning and i've seen new york city give up some really, really just embarrassing goals off of defensive breakdowns. And that wasn't one of them. 
you know, that was more Kyle Laren doing what he's getting paid to do, which was, you know, he slipped on the turf, he got up, he drifted behind Matarita. Matarita did, you know, what he could in order to keep track of Laren. He just happened to give him a little bit too much space. And mm. that happens sometimes. You, can, you can't really control for that in the game. Um, you know, he happened to score on the header. And beyond that, it's not like Orlando controlled the game. It's not like they managed to right. capitalize off of that, you know? So if I'm a defensive coach, you know, that's not something that I look at and I say, you know what, let me slot in Briant in there for Kayans. I thought the, I thought the combination of that four-man back line, you know, Matarita on left, Kayans, Chano, and Allen did, you know, did fairly well. Mm. Uh, I guess my last question, you mentioned uh, Alexander Ring already. Um, yeah. I was pretty impressed by the amount of ground he covered, um, which yes. is always going to be a factor. If you're partnering Andrea Pirlo, you'd better do a lot of running. Um, yep. I had read several uh, mentions that maybe Herrera and Ring were in competition with one another. Do you, th mm -hmm. do you think if, if the Pirlo scenario you already discussed, if that were to play out, would you see them playing together or would you see Ring and somebody else uh, ending up in central midfield and Herrera still being sort of the understudy? Um, I think... I think Herrera and Ring would do well together. I think they, I think to a certain degree they complement each other. The thing with Herrera that you want to get him is playing time, um, and if you get him playing time with Ring, that's great. Um, you know, I think what Ring brings you is the ability to cover ground, um, and that's just that is so important, regardless of where you're playing, because uh, because the system that Vieira uses, I think, demands that of all his players. Um, and so for me, I don't think Ring is a player that you bench unless you want to give him a rest, if that makes sense. You know? I think it's a lot more likely to see Herrera and Camargo coming in to replace Pirlo than it is Ring benched and then Herrera coming in for him. So... Former DC United uh, wingback slash fullback uh, Rodney Wallace has now made his way to uh, New York City FC. We welcome everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he seems to have pushed out, uh, he and Jack Harrison combined seem to have pushed out uh, Tommy McNamara. Do you think that uh, Wallace especially stays ahead of McNamara or do you think it's more of a uh, situational thing or if it's more of an open competition? I think it's kind of an open competition. I think a lot of it really depends on what it is that, um, that Vieira wants. I think, to be honest with you, I think you would actually tend to see a little bit of a platoon system, and here's why. Because in a place like Orlando, where you have like an actual big field, in a place like Seattle and that sort of thing, with the amount of running that you're asking um, somebody in Wallace's position, McNamara's position that he had um, last season, that's a lot of running up and down the field. And I love T-Mac and that sort of thing, but that's not really something that he was you know, suited for, let's say. Whereas Rodney Wallace is a very athletic, you know, up and down kind of, you know, kind of guy, right? Um, but in the intimate confines of Yankee Stadium, shall we say. Um, I think somebody like T-Mac is actually an asset because, you know, he brings a scoring punch. He's a very intelligent player. 
He reads the game really well. Um, and so, and you're not running as much in that place. And so, you know, you bring him in and he starts the game for you. And then, you know, you sub in somebody like Wallace. So it wouldn't surprise me to see sort of a platoon system where Wallace starts, you know, on the road and um, McNamara comes in and then the opposite, you know, during home games. But I'm just throwing that out there. Um, the other thing is, uh, like I said, Vieira tends to be a very experimental kind of guy. So, you know, as he's trying to find out which 11 players combine to make the best sort of mix in order to bring wins, um, don't be surprised if McNamara is still in there. The other thing that comes to mind is that with mix of salary off of the books, um, that gives New York City flexibility to bring in uh, a couple of more players, particularly since they have now three international slots that they can play with um, because three of the players that they had um, occupy those slots, Madarita and I think two more, um, got their permanent residency cards over the offseason. So, you know, so they have a little bit of flexibility there. If they decide, for example, to pick up Jack McInerney, um, that's a real cheap pickup, you know, that will give you a scoring punch right off of the bat. So I wouldn't be surprised if, New York City aren't done making moves yet in terms of the roster itself. And then my other question was really a, a more general question. Um, mm-hmm. Orlando City didn't have the most solid back line or uh, central midfield. It's uh, a couple of uh, new players to MLS, Will Johnson being played hilariously out of position. Right. Uh, Servando Carrasco is a MLS journeyman. So, what do you are you worried about the fact that uh, you weren't really able to break down that set, the center of that field? Uh, no. Okay. No, I'll be I'll be really bl- I'll be really bold um, and blunt, and I'll say no. And the reason why is because New York City didn't do and hasn't done preseason in the same way that other MLS teams do the preseason. Um, which is to say um, they very self-consciously sort of stay away from doing the sort of like we're going to play other teams and sort of like scout them out and play against them and that sort of thing. You know, they do stuff like going to Amalek and Ecuador um, and that sort of thing. And what that does is um, it means that you have still a little bit of preseason rust, uh, particularly for those first couple of games. Um, Ask me in a you know, in a few weeks, you know, if they're like, you know, one in seven or whatever, you know, then we're talking, you know, like they were last season. Um, But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think this is a younger team. I think Patrick Vieira has a much better idea of what he wants to do with this team um, in terms of what he wants to accomplish. And so I think he, he's more than a few, he's basically a few tweaks away from coming up with a team that suits his purposes. You know, I think honestly, the big, the big question on this team is, you know, who's going to provide the scoring punch besides Villa? But that's been an open question for a long time now. So last question before we let you go, and I'm going to turn you into a double agent a little bit. You've seen as many games as anybody on that postage stamp that is Yankee Stadium's field. If, if you had to game plan against Patrick Vieira and NYCFC, mm-hmm. how would you do it? What would you focus on? Set pieces. Set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. Um, and it mystifies me why, um, why Patrick Vieira, for as intelligent as he is, um, 
it mystifies me why he hasn't built a team around that as well. Because that's a stadium that just lends itself to set-piece battles. Um, I would get myself... I don't know if you guys remember this this guy, but there was a guy who used to play for Stoke City named Rory Delap. Yeah. Um, and he was just like this sort of journeyman sort of dude in the Premier League. But he had this freakish ability to do long throws into the box. And... You know, if you get your, if you get somebody, if you got like the MLS version of like Rory Delap, his name is I Shannon mean, Williams. Actually, Shannon Williams he, had a weaponized throw for the Philadelphia Union, and when he became available, I was I was a little shocked NYCFC didn't go after him for that very reason. But that's what I'm saying. If you if NYCFC got themselves like Shannon Williams, um, you know that's like easily nine to ten goals um, a season that you could score off of set pieces, you know, whether that's long throws, whether that's corners. I mean, that's not nothing. I mean, that's like a $200,000 player right there. I mean, that, that would be the third leading scorer on NYCFC's roster just off of set pieces, you know? Um, so I'm just mystified that they don't have that. And, you know, there's just sort of like bias against like set piece goals because set piece goals aren't, purdy you know they're not coming off of the run of play and i'm like who cares man a goal is a goal i mean if you score the goal with your tukas you know who cares <laughs> i think it Lampard did the that. Line. yeah exactly like it's just it, it counts just as much you know um but that would be trash goals NYCFC, are gorgeous yeah exactly <laughs> i mean nycfc's um glaring weakness throughout their lifetime as a club such as it is, has been set pieces. Um, and they've gotten better at it. Full credit. They have gotten better at it, but it still remains a weakness. Um, the score that the goal that Orlando scored today was off a set piece. It was off a it was off a throw in. Um, you know, so it continues to be an area of concern, and particularly at Yankee Stadium, it would be something that I would go ahead and plan for. If I were Ben Olsen and Ben Olsen is a smart coach, I'm sure that that's something that he's drilling his guys on. Score off of set pieces, you know, headers. You know, we're talking about the shortest team in MLS, one of the shortest teams in MLS, you know? Um, and it's not a team that got appreciably taller over the off season. So, you know, set pieces would be the one, two, three, and maybe the fourth thing that I would be working on. Um, because that would be my route to victory. You're not going to beat NYCFC in terms of possession. So I would be more than happy to concede the possession there um, and and score two or three goals off of set pieces. All right. We'll keep our eye out for that come Sunday. Um, hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, you'll be joining us at Doc FC for our watch party for that one. Uh, Raph, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online to, to get ready for this game? You can find me online and the rest of the crew at HudsonRiverBlue.com. We're on Twitter at Twitter.com slash HudsonRiverBlue and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HudsonRiverBlue. All right. Find us at BlackAndRedUnited.com. We're on Twitter at FilibusterDCU for the podcast at BlackAndRedU for the website. We are also on Facebook like Hudson River, Hudson River Blue. 
That's facebook.com slash black and red united. Uh, oddly enough, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Google Music, or the podcatcher of your choice. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Bring a friend to the watch party uh, on Sunday. Um, make new friends. It'll be fun. Uh, so for Jason and Ben and thanking Raph one more time, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Uh, Luke Kang is fighting Shang Tsung in the background. Goodbye. Ha, ha, ha.